Oh yeah, let's go. Another episode of the Night Shift Football Podcast is upon us. Kane scored his first goals as Dortmund dropped points in Germany. Barca and Villarreal play out a seven-goal thriller in Spain while Jude does what he likes. And in the Premier League, Darwin Nunes arrives on the big stage as Liverpool, Chelsea, United and City all get crucial points. Okay, here we go. Episode 123. As usual, Tommy's here. Hi, mate. How you going? Hi. You tell me how I'm going. How do you zip pay to get on the bus today? <laughs> Grim times. Zipping your way onto the bus? No, or you, was, the there zip in your, was there yeah. a zip in your step? Is that a thing? Nah, I, tr- I trudged up there because I felt embarrassed that someone would look at me while I did it. And then I, I also didn't know if it was going to work or not, so... I was kind of preoccupied with that whole, oh, yeah. hey, oh, I don't have any money. Can you just take me home? <laughs> Times are tough for the the night shift crew. Uh, perhaps this is a good time to call out for some sponsors, if anyone knows anyone. If you, anyone wants a plug, uh, Tommy needs a Metro card. So if you can help out there, that'd be fucking sick. Uh, yeah, just, pay, just pay us in Metro cards. Hooper's with us as well. How you doing, man? As good as ever, Sammy. Just another night on Australia's longest running football oh. podcast. So. Are you going to drop Boom. it every week? Is that your line now? Every, gonna... every week. That's the plan. Nice. Every week. Love that. Um, Cooper has lately been rubbishing my podcasting uh, skills, actually. So I don't know. I feel like I might have to mute him a few times tonight. We'll see how we go. Um, he's probably not going to talk till the end because I'm guessing he's only here to talk about Darwin Nunes anyway. Tommy, I'll talk to you first because uh, you caught the Barcelona game. We're going to start in Spain. Barcelona four, Villarreal three, um, seven goals and just some great football. Seven goals and could have been how many more? 12, 13, 14. This is a cracker. This is one of those games that like puts to bed the argument, do you need goals in football for it to be entertaining? Like, yeah, <laughs> probably. This was great. Goal scorers, Gavi, Frankie de Jong. Ferran Torres, Robert Lewandowski, all the uh, all the usual suspects for Barca. Mm, the heavy hitters, and you know the start they got off to as well to get two 0 ahead uh, so quickly. What you know, you would expect it given how they steamrolled the season uh, in the previous the previous one, but they have started ever so shaky, and you know you can see that there's still holes to be exploited. Um, alternatively, Villarreal might just be a really good team because they scored some crackers. Um, you would have seen it, uh, Buena, I think his name is. Yep. He was fantastic. Goal assist, uh, outrageous performance. They are generally, um, they're generally thereabouts, Villarreal. They're never quite, you know, going to compete with Real and Barca frequently, but they are, they're, they're thereabouts for the Champions League and Europa positions. Um, strong at home. Um, I tuned into this and I just thought, you know, I'm, I'm not a big La Liga fan at all, but it just looks so good this time of year when they're still kind of heading out of their summer and it was sunny. It was like there didn't seem to be a cloud anywhere and the football was fun. Everyone's in the crowd having a good time in shorts and shirts and it just looked great. You're craving a European summer is what you're doing. You're, just, you're missing seeing men in shorts at the football. Yeah, I just, I just want to see men in shorts. That's all it is. Um, how about the uh, this this kid, 16-year-old, uh, what is it, Yam, Yam, Yamal, Lamine Yamal? Mm. the winger for Barcelona, popping up with an assist for the first goal for um, Gavi. And then um, you have to feel for Villarreal here, but the winning goal, um, Yamal <laughs> hits a shot. Fortunate. It comes, it comes off the post and it could have gone anywhere, but it doesn't. It goes right to the feet of Lewandowski, who does like the most potent, uh, the most the most deadly striker the planet's had in some time. And he just, just knocks it in. Just knocks it in. Almost messed it up. It almost comes back too quick and gets caught in between his feet. But he is so good and so on the spot, he manages to sort it out. Uh, he was just to be starting for Barcelona at 16 is ridiculous. And it's, you know, yeah. it's kind of reminiscent of a certain individual. Now nah, we shouldn't mention that. We shouldn't heap pressure on this kid's shoulders because after no. this performance, everybody is going to be watching the highlights. Like he's got everything you want. In a young football footballer, just fearlessness, wants to run at defenders, has a crazy powerful shot and is able to bring uh, his teammates into the game as well. So you can see why they're starting him at such a young age. But you've got to be so careful with this kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
huge win. Um, Barca, that like we weren't, we were a bit iffy on Barca last year, and then they came through with the goods. And um, but Real Madrid off to a fly as well. They're three wins from three, and all thanks to pretty much Jude Bellingham. Uh, they won away to Celta Vigo, and he scored again. That's it's four goals in three La Liga games. What the hell? What a signing. A certain Premier League team could really do with a Jude Bellingham right now, I think. And they could possibly be challenging for a title if they did sign him. I, I don't know. Cooper, any ideas? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, didn't have $110 million for Jude Bellingham early doors, but then found 115 for Kai Sato when, when the going got tough. And it just, it, it grinds. Um, Just on Lamine Yamal, it, there's something awfully wrong feeling about someone born in 2007 starting a La Liga game for Barcelona. Yeah. It, well, oh, that's disgusting. Says you, we we are much older than you, and I tell you what, it's a. Uh, I remember just playing FIFA in like 2007 as a kid, just like you know. Well, we were in high school then, but you know, um, and now kids that are born then are playing professional football matches for the biggest club in the world. Uh, what am I doing with my life? What are we doing with our lives? That's the question for everyone here. Um, Anything Is this your sp- therapy? No, it's not, but it's coming up. Don't you worry. I've got Get it. Close. Yeah. Oh, we, we're getting there. Don't you worry. If, I might as well just go there now. Um, I'm just wanting to move it across to Germany. <laughs> um, RB Leipzig, obviously, been in uh, been in our kind of sights since the Super Cup start of the season, mainly thanks to one Danny Olmo, but he was on the score sheet again. They beat Stuttgart 5-1, and they play some really good football, Leipzig, once they start getting it going. They're just still a bit shaky at the back, like uh, we saw against Leverkusen. But Leverkusen might be a decent side, it turns out. They went to Mönchengladbach and won 3-0. Um, it shouldn't be... I feel like we gloss over the fact that Xabi Alonso is in charge there and has got them really ticking into some some wicked football. Yeah, we do gloss over it, don't we? Because he is like a bona fide Prem legend who was part of an iconic Liverpool team. Uh, I guess because he's not in England. Yeah, that's why we get lost in the mud. But I read a tweet. I can't name who exactly they've signed, but potentially they've done the best business of the window with the um, the cattle that they've managed to get in there and the way that Xavi's got them playing. They could be one to watch for sure. Yeah, absolutely. That's where Granite Xhaka ended up, right? Yeah, and he's straight into the starting lineup and playing well. So uh, watch this space with Leverkusen. Maybe they'll be the one to push Bayern this year. It doesn't look like it will be Dortmund because Dortmund have, uh, for the second year in a row, they've dropped points away to Bochum and they've only scored two goals in two games so far. A 1-0 win in the first round. And now this one, Daniel Marlin scored again. And another, I guess, 90 minutes. He didn't even play 90 minutes, but... Another 81 minutes of Sebastian Hilaire just taking up space as a forward in this Dortmund side. I'm still baffled by this. If you go back and listen to our pod we did after the Bundesliga's final day, like I just, I'm ropeable that this guy is still there. You know, um, you just cannot have his kind of strike rate. Well, you cannot have his, he's a player that only works if you're going to put the ball in the air to him in the box. And if you're not doing that, then he's just, um, is worthless and he doesn't have the skills to be able to knock the ball around with the others and play it on the floor like like they do. This is almost falling back to um, Cooper's argument about Holland not making City better, but Holler definitely does not make <laughs> Dortmund better. That's for sure. He makes them worse. Yeah. Um, the other one was Bayern Munich. They won three one, and this brings me to my therapy session. Um, I'll play the chimes. We don't need a, there's no discussion here. It's just a straight up, I need to vent this and get this shit off my chest again. Our loyal listeners will know how much I hate this club. Okay. But now they've got Harry Kane there. How am I meant to possibly enjoy anything this club does? They've got Harry Kane now. He scored two. They've got, they're, they're a football club notoriously that's worn red with white on it. Their home shirts this year are white with red on it. Can someone fucking explain that to me? What is that all about? They're still playing their <laughs> stupid can-can music after every goal. What are you meant to do with that? That that just stinks. They've still got their T-Mobile sponsorship seats sitting there. Now, Tommy, you'll remember, I've gone on about this a bit. They're sponsored seats there and how gross it looks. Um, mm. Oh, it's a disgrace. I dug up. It's a blood on football, Sammy. I dug up. It's uh, The T is the logo, which we all know of the telecom, the communications kind of sponsor of Bayern. But 
uh, 58 people, all telecom trainees and employees, form the human T, and they can either apply for a seat in the section via an internal platform or they win the right to a seat through competition. This is from uh, Bulleye News. Oh, uh, I'm not sure it. where this website comes from, but these are all employees. Their outfits are dependent on temperatures. They either wear a white T-shirt or a poncho along with a white baseball cap or a fleece beanie. The 58 people are allowed to move, but Telecom kindly asked them to remain seated during match time and have instructed them to be aware of the visibility of the logo. How is anyone meant to get oh around my this God. nonsense corporate capitalist shit happening in a football stadium and especially happening in a football country like Germany where they've teed off at Leipzig for their kind of franchise shit and now we've got human fucking logos forming for billboards. corporate fucking dicks anyway that's my third i need to get off the couch there i'm 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 ropeable <laughs> i feel like we should applaud you after that i don't i don't know what happens at the end of a session do you just get a valium and they kick you out usually well last week you asked how our mothers how we felt about our mothers which is a, mm, an interesting yeah, but approach we're done with that now i think the other way that it goes is usually <laughs> i guess i get up and then i have to pay someone lots and lots and lots of money and i don't want to do that either so, I think you can either pay us the fee or you can just sit in the crowd wearing a white T-shirt and not move for 90 minutes if you want to. Are you going to trigger me into a second session here? It's <laughs> fucked. Um, let's move it on. Uh, you guys can talk in a second. I might as well wrap up Italy while we're doing Europe. <laughs> um, unless unless either of you have anything to add about Bundesliga or Serie A, which I doubt. You doubt correctly? No. I doubt correctly. No. Yeah, no, you shouldn't assume, so. though. Yeah, I shouldn't. I shouldn't assume, to be fair. All right. Um, Italy, where are we going? My game of the week this week was um, Juve and Bologna. And I thought it would be a pretty... I thought Juve would win comfortably, but did know that Bologna were a good enough team to get um, their fair share of the ball and have their fair share of chances created. And that certainly was the case once again. Um, they got away with a draw here. They had more shots. They had one more shot than Juve. They had 41% of the ball, so not completely dominated. Young Lewis Ferguson, the Scot, in his second season in Italy, he's previously played for Hamilton, Ackies, and Aberdeen in, in the Scottish professional division. Um, plays as a 10 for Bologna. Um, scored a nice goal this morning. Got them off to a 1-0 lead. Um, and they were looking good. Um, but Dusan Vlahovic eventually scored for Juve. Uh, my only other note on this is um, Juve's kits, I like them. I don't know if either of you have seen them, but Juve's kits look good. Yeah, enjoy the yellow. A lot more yellow this season. It looks it looks quite good. Mm, just uh, Interesting. That must be pretty good for you to bite your tongue and admit that. Which yeah. is their home kit? Yeah, just the black and white stripes. Um, but they've got like the Adidas stripes are in yellow. And so is the... It's got like the jagged edges on them. Yeah, and there's yep. a little bit of yellow trimming in different parts as well, on the back as well. It's mm. just, I think it's a nice touch. It looks mm. really good because um, their old their old logo did used to have a little bit of, like a tiny bit of yellow in it. And it's just, I guess, one of those little kind of distinguishing features that makes them makes them Juve. But, um, you know, as much as I don't like them, I love that look. Mm. That kid looks good. Um, but yeah, some good football this weekend. Napoli winning again. Osimhen on the score sheet. Again, Lazio lost to Genoa. Um, it's the first time I've mentioned Lazio this season, but their team looks incredibly horrid, like disgusting on paper, <laughs> just just gross. Milan had a big win. What, what happened? Hey? What happened, what happened what? with Lazio? Weren't they competing last season? Yeah, they were Champions League positions. I don't know. Um, they, got a, they got a couple of injuries, you know, but nothing major. They just um, They just look shit. No one's turning up and they're, um, <laughs> it's grim. It's real grim. You look at their team on paper and um, there's a, there's a couple of, there's a couple of dodgies. There's a couple of real dodgy suspects on there. Um, we should do a Lazio deep dive next week. A Lazio deep dive, you reckon? Uh, Roma, your boys uh, had, a, had a loss, Cooper. Do you want to tell us anything about that? Or are you just, uh... no, I was just, um, I was having a conversation <laughs> with, um, Alario the other day, who a friend of the show, Lazio supporter, um, talking about how potentially awful the derbies could be to watch this season between Lazio and Roma because mm-hmm. both teams are just playing absolute pig football at the moment. It's terrible to watch. They are. I'd say the only difference is that um, Roma have a genuinely good-looking team on paper. Like, it is genuinely 
you know, looks like it'll, it could compete, but I don't think they will. They just won't do it. Um, that's about it. That's all I got for Italy. If is this like is this like Mu third season syndrome, or has he been there longer now? Is that a thing? Is Mourinho third season syndrome a thing? I've never really counted. I like to cling to it. Years. I like to cling to it. Man United. I think Chelsea the second time around. Uh, how long did he get at Spurs? Two and a half years, maybe. I reckon there's a there's a clock on his tenure at football clubs. All right, fantasy football. Um, we've had a bit of a mare, Tommy. We've we've dropped down the ranks again. What are we down to? Twenty first now after moving up last week. Um, top of the pack at the moment. Isaiah Mount, uh, his team bus sits top of the pile with 184 points. I'm just trying to gauge through and find who got the most points this week. It was a it was a tough week for fantasy football and the points. Um, Liam Edwards, I think, with good kid Man City. Um, okay, 62. Oh, great name. Great name. No, yeah. that's Kendrick Lamar reference. That's that's yeah. excellent. All over. That's it. my nomination for team of the season. I'm glad you're on it because I was clutching at straws then and I feel really old now for not knowing any Kendrick. But 62 points, um, Tommy, what did we do. get? We're, our team's in strife. Uh, it's not in strife. We just had one bad week. We, we've yeah. had our Newcastle patch of the we've season. Had, we'll come back. two bad weeks out of three. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we started well and now we're on a slow decline. I don't know what you want from me. We need a cash injection. We need a Russian benefactor. Financial takeover. Well, I had some trade ideas for the coming week. And given that Cooper is sitting fifth in this league and is the self-proclaimed fantasy Premier League champion. Oh, look, I, I don't know where your head's at at the moment. Um, I've got some, we, we've got some misses in there. Uh, Cody Gakbo, not, not good. Not good. Do we stick or do we twist? He, he goes, you twist. He goes. Yep. Um, okay. Good to know. Do we bring in Bowen? Is that, is that the go? Yeah, Bowen's a hot play. They have an easy game week coming up, but their fixtures get a little bit more difficult. And I'm still not, and I will talk about him in a minute, I'm still not totally sold on West Ham and their football. Um, he'd be the West Ham player to have at the moment, I think. But yeah, not totally Maybe sold. Mr. Train. I mean, Antonio has been pretty good. Um, the other one that I wanted to talk to you about was Sterling. Is he going to be consistent? Is he worth the cash? Do I bring him in? Two good game weeks. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um I'd have Madison as a first choice. If you've already got him, I'd be going to Sterling, potentially before like a Foden. Foden, you're going to have your issues like we had on the weekend with Pep and his insistence on rotating a squad that doesn't need to be rotated at this point in the season. Um, But I think Sterling's probably consistently going to be Chelsea's best attacker until Nicholas Jackson finds his stripes, if he finds his stripes. So, yeah, I'd be be going to Sterling. That's the problem. we've We've got Jackson. We've got Jackson, though, Cooper. It's interesting. Do we have... Are we overloading we have... on Chelsea attackers? Yeah, well, how, how much do you like Chelsea? How much are you willing to bet on Chelsea being a good side? Well, maybe that's a good place to jump in with the, the games. Um, we'll go chronologically through them, like always, but uh, Chelsea got a win at home, 3-0. Um, is this because Chelsea are starting to click or are Luton just absolute crap? I think we know the answer. Luton are just absolute yeah. crap. Um, I've been saying for the last nine months that I'm not sold on Chelsea and I think they're gradually going in the right direction. Um, with a fully fit squad, they'll probably be going in the right direction even further, but not sold. Um, but jury's out. They've got a couple of easy games coming up too. Um, Nottingham Forest is their next fixture. So you'd think an easy three points at Stanford Bridge followed by Bournemouth, which is another winnable game. Mm. Um, but then they'll get a test. Villa will mm. go to the bridge in three weeks' time, and that'll be a good test for them because Villa seemed like a really good side. So potentially jury's out until they've you know won a couple easy ones, and then we can see what they do off the back of some form against some harder opposition. Yeah, I think um, I've I've got a note here. We're going to leave the queue in the rack for a bit. I think we'll have a proper look at Chelsea in a bit. I don't think Luton is a great place to start with them because... I think we've all written off Luton already this season. That may seem harsh, but they look junk. Um, the only other note I had that was was that um, I still feel like Raheem Sterling is a criminally underrated footballer, and what he's done in his career is pretty wild. And it goes it goes under the radar a bit, but we'll mm, we'll touch. See, I've always just quick. I've always Go got him in like the Theo Walcott category. Is that fair? Unfair? No, I think he is wild. I don't think harsh. Walcott, I think I don't think Walcott is anywhere near. 
Raheem. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but I. Mm. Yeah, I don't I'm. I'm going feeling. Near him. I don't think he's anywhere close. Um, Raheem miles ahead. Um, Spurs beat Bournemouth away, and it was relatively well. It was very convincing. Two uh, 0 was the scoreline, but it was more about the way Spurs played. Tom and um, and just had a few things to say about his new boy James Madison. Ah. Uh, Incredible to have a manager. One, just to be so embraced and loved by the crowd already. I mean, the amount of songs that have been dedicated to Ange is ridiculous. Robbie Williams has even got in the act now. Uh, it's a great moment to see him embrace like this. And then for him to front up the media and then act just so so casually and so personably and just within his own nature. Uh, it feels like there's a few managers out there that, put on uh, a facade in a way and they try and act in a certain way. And, you know, Yumarinos and, uh, you know, Pep in a, to a sense and Klopp as well. And then you get Ange come in uh, just batting away stupid questions with his big paws. Like someone asked him, uh, uh, I think after this fixture, James uh, Madison at 45 million pounds, is that going to be the bargain of the season? And Ange just basically laughs in the guy's face and he's like, what world are you living in? 45 million pounds is never a bargain. Yeah. Um, he He's built this rep everywhere he's been now. Um, they couldn't believe it in Scotland, the way some people took it as disrespect for journalists, but he he's never really disrespectful. He's he, he he's kind of lighthearted but stern and kind of mm. and, and always fair, I think. Like a, like a dad. He quickly uh, like apologized after he said it as well. I think he 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 felt like he come across a little bit too aggressive, and he was like, "Oh, I didn't mean it like in that sense." But you know, uh, he makes a really salient point. Like he comes into a world now where forty five million pounds is like a normal thing to do, and I like yeah. that he can sit there in front of you know the gallery and reject that. Yeah, brilliant. Um, any thoughts on Tottenham's football from either of you? Oh, geez, the first goal, loved it. I mean, the build up play is insane. Um, uh, Papa Saar just he looks like a new player under Ange, and the, the the it was such a tight finesse finish. He did everything he needed to do, J Mads, to get that in the back of the net. That was a beautiful goal. No, they were really good. Um, again, just their only. I know Sam and I are on the tail chasing this guy to be a good player. Um, but I think there was. I know you were going to talk about some soft score ratings. Uh, later on, Tom, but Tottenham didn't have a player in this game under a seven uh, at all, even players that came off the bench that played long enough to get a rating, uh, except Richarlison, who managed a 2.5 up front in a 2 0 winning side. Um, rough. I think his pass <laughs> completion rough. rate under 30% and fumbled the ball at his feet and missed a real good chance from six to seven yards. Um, I don't know. I think they just have to persist with this guy. I think Ange is convinced as well as we are that there's a player in there and he gets himself in great positions and he does do some really good stuff. Um, you just, I think they just have to keep persisting. If, you, if you're still winning games with him in the team, there's no reason to to not persist in, until it becomes an issue in my mind. So I think they just have to keep hitting at it. Yeah, I like yeah. that. He's a, willing, he's a willing sacrificial lamb, isn't he? Like, it doesn't really matter if he's not scoring at the moment. So why not just keep him in there? And I can't think of anyone else that would put in there anyway. Yeah, well, I don't think bringing in like a big, you know, there was the Romelu Lukaku rumours and like, I don't, I'm not necessarily sure Harry Kane coming to and holding up the ball would have suited the way that Ange plays. I think he likes that quick nippy striker. Um, You know, we saw him do it with Sam. You'd have more of a Celtic mind with it, but a little bit with, you know, Maida and Kyogo for, for Celtic, you know, those faster types rather than the biggie bulk guys that come and, and hold the ball up and don't, you know, run into the box necessarily as much as these quick guys. So I think he you'll just see him persist with Richarlison unless they can bring someone in that fits the mould. And I'm not necessarily sure there's anyone on the market that does fit the mould. Mm. I'm trying to think off the top of my head right now who you probably could, but... um. I liked Vlahovic as an option, but do you think maybe yeah. a little bit less mobile? Vlahovic's not as mobile. Um, I made a point that uh, I like him in a front two for Juve now, mm. um, okay. alongside Chiesa or someone not on his own. Um, yeah. definitely I don't know. Play off, I'm not, but... not sure how much merit there was to it, but there was a little bit of talk for a while about how people thought that 
uh, Paolo Dybala, the way he's used for Roma, would be a really good fit for Spurs and Ange's football as a striker. I'm not sure how much merit there was to the rumours or yeah, whether I'm, it does fit or not. but Not sold on that one either. Um, I'll tell you who would be a great option, Harry Kane. Um, if they could do something, <laughs> if they could try and get like Harry Kane in, that would be big for Spurs. But yeah, it's still pretty early days, I guess, but we're all pretty excited about the Ange train. I guess it's just a tough watch if you're... If you're an Arsenal Australian, if you're if you're an Australian Arsenal fan and you're trying to watch, uh, you're trying to encourage Ange, but you don't really want to see Tottenham do well. Still early on, and then even more of a tough watch if you're an Arsenal fan and you drop points at home to ten man Fulham two two. Tommy, oh, uh, just disaster. Is there is there a little bit of title expectation weighing into the shoulders of these players? Oh, I don't think so. I don't think. Uh, is that just because I'm a realist and I know that City are just... There's that, of course, know? yeah. Or, But wh- whether or not Arsenal can mount what they did last season, I think I might that be may wrong. be what it yeah. is. I might be wrong. Perhaps, um, you know, we don't get the full context here, no matter how hard we try. But if you're actually living over in London right now, I guess there there may well be a serious vibe of... Can we go on with what we did last year and push on and get it? Um, for me, the feeling the whole way was that last year was an overachievement, and mm. that finishing second was a was a brilliant achievement in the end. Um, but first was still maybe a little way off. But you know, cert- you certainly can't be dropping games like this at home if you want to win it. Um, just especially once the ten men. You know, I know it's a it's a set piece and it just falls to him, but. Um, <laughs> You know, I think the one note I had was I don't believe Arsenal had anyone on the posts for that corner. And I'm a big fan of, I'm a big fan. I don't think you always need one on each post. I don't think you need someone on each post. But I think you may as well when you're a goal up with minutes remaining and the other team's down to 10 men. You can afford to put the with, extra with man an extra in. man. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that seems like that's an over- exactly it. That seems like put them on the back post. A pretty poor oversight, some pretty poor game management there. I've got a question, probably more so for you, Sam, but feel free to pitch in Tom. Um, is Mikel Arteta yes. getting too big for his boots here a little oh. bit with these lineups? Um, I just want to just, it might sound harsh, but I'm just Don't looking elaborate. at these, these. I just want to walk you through two things that are standing out to me in terms of, I just feel like he is, he's a doing the, I know Pep was, you know, his, his managing mentor and whatnot, but he's doing this unnecessary squad rotation that we see out of city, that city have a world of depth. We're already seeing that from Arsenal. I, I just want to question how, you know, I said myself in our end of in our little five-a-side team podcast that I necessarily didn't rate Gabriel, but you two both thought that he was, you know, the best centre-back potentially in the Premier League last season. He played every single minute of the Premier League last season. We've now lost two Arsenal defenders in Timber and uh, Tommy Yasu in the first two weeks, and Gabriel did not even see a minute off the bench in this game. We've started, Arteta started Jakub Kiljor, the uh, Polish young centre-back, Mm. Um, instead of going back to Gabriel. We also, you know, for the first probably 20 weeks of the season, there was talk about Zinchenko in that inverted fullback role, revolutionising this Arsenal side and potentially being the signing of the Premier League season. And I was really hot on board with that. And now having him back fully fit, instead of going back to something that revolutionises Arsenal team, we're trying to do the same thing with Thomas Partey on the other side and it's not working. Mm. Why is he mm. Why is he not using Gabriel, who he knows works, and why is he not using Zinchenko, who he knows works? Mm. I think uh, I'm going to disagree on a fair bit of that, actually. Like, the minutes I've seen, Thomas Partey isn't so much taking up the inverted thing. It appears that way on paper because you've got a centre mid there playing right back. I am, I'll admit I am baffled by the fact that Thomas Party is playing right back. Um, I guess Tommy Asu being suspended doesn't help, but when Tommy Asu played, he played he played left back. So Party started each game at right back, which confuses me. When Ben White played right back all last season and was pretty handy, I guess the only thing in his defense would be Ben White was signed as a fullback, uh, as a center back, and was kind of shifted out to right back as cover because of injuries and things. And he ended up being good at it. 
Um, I guess maybe the plan all along was for him to be a centre-back, and there he is. Or maybe Gabriel is not match fit for whatever reason, and so he's still afraid to go and use him. I, I struggle to believe Gabriel is not in that best back four. Um, that's a bit of a, a worry. Um, as for the rest of it, uh, you know, we haven't really seen uh, the rotation. Like, um, Rice, Havertz, Odegaard has been the midfield three. Um, the only change was up front. Trossard started instead of Enkedia, which I think is a great call. I'm not a big Enkedia fan. Um, Even though but, yeah. that was, well, yeah, that was another point of mine. Um, Eddie Enkedia <laughs> was, seemed to be the, the Arsenal goal scorer in the, 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 the biggest goal threat potentially in the first couple of fixtures and went to the bench and came off the bench at halftime and scored again. Yeah, he did. Um, and also, you know, 56 minutes in, you know, Arsenal have made three subs in this game by the 56th minute um, when they made the double change in the 56th minute and Vieira, uh, sorry, Fabio Vieira and Zinchenko came off the bench and they looked a, a much better team. Um, I'm not sure in part if that was Zinchenko or not, but Fabio Vieira was excellent off the bench in this game. Um Probably Arsenal's, I wanted... be- probably Arsenal's best player on the pitch once he came yeah. off the bench. That's what I wanted to bring it to. It looks like uh, Havertz in midfield isn't working at the moment, and you're probably going to get a lot more out of Vieira. Definitely a more settled lineup. The struggle, I guess, it's going to be is um, fitting fitting Havertz into a position where he can uh, be like a ten or some sort of forward, but that really feels like it's Odegaard's. You know, I and think it'll Odegaard be interesting. To, one of the best in the league at it, so why would you want to take him out of there? It'll it'll be interesting exactly. to see. I think I think it's one of those another queue in the rack for seven days. Um, it'll be interesting to see. Does Arteta back his guns and play Thomas Party as an out and out right back against Man United this weekend and let him go one on one with probably Marcus Rashford, or does he go fuck? I don't think this is going to work against Marcus Rashford and make the change. Yeah, um, Ben White probably doesn't work either. I mean that's that's a really tough matchup against a wide left Rashford. Yeah, grim. I don't want to think about it right now. Um, <laughs> Might I don't want to just. <laughs> we shouldn't just uh, talk Arsenal there. Some credit to Fulham, I guess they just kept coming, and uh, even after scoring that equaliser in the 87th minute to Palinia, they look they they nearly scored a winner. <laughs> they got, they got right yeah. through at the end, and um, Ramsdale had to make beast. a huge save. Um, just to keep keep it to a draw. That was in the 95th or 96th minute, so scary stuff there. Um, Brentford drew with Crystal Palace 1-1. I don't think any of us took any note of that game at all. Um, sorry, guys, we'll check in in a few weeks. Everton lost 1-0 at home to Wolves, Tom. And um, you, you reckon there might be a few teams competing for Derby's points record? Oh, there is some trash in this Premier League. Everton should have gone down last season. And they've done nothing to arrest the fact that they were dog shit. And they just, they look worse. And, might, you know, the chorus of boos that Goodison Park greets uh, the players as they walk off is brilliant. Like, I love that. I'm all for mm. it. Um, but maybe we're under, maybe we're overselling Everton's demise at the moment. Uh, because according to SofaScore, the two highest performed players in a Premier League game this season have been two goalkeepers that have faced Everton. And I know we don't read into XG too much, but the uh, did you see the uh, the Jose Sar save uh, from the back post header <laughs> in this game? One of the most incredible things you'll see, like rivals the Allison save that we'll get to later. It, just maybe they are performing okay without luck at the moment, and results will fall their way. Oh. That's just so much, so much too far credit to Ever- Everton and, and and to Sean Dyche. And I just That's how you know, really feel. I, know, I know we're not Sean Dyche fans on this podcast about his the maniac his football and his managing and the poor fucking tea lady. Um, but he is not sane in the head if he thinks that he couldn't go out there on a free transfer market and find some fucking Lithuanian child who isn't a better left back than Ashley fucking Young at this point. Bang. Seriously, how That's is a this? Fair point. This dude is thirty-eight years old. He started three Premier League games. It's grim. I think it was clear to people a long time ago that he wasn't good enough for the Premier League anymore, as well. And then he made a bit of a career just lingering along in Syria, um, playing a role off the bench. And now he's back, and he's like a key, a key starting defender for for a relegation battler. It's incredible how you can replace 
the aging Leighton Baines with an even more aging Ashley Young? Like, where is the transfer policy? Yeah, it's a grim one. They've let it slide there. Uh, how about this one? This was a cracker at Old Trafford. Cooper, uh, United 3, Forest 2. Forest 2-0 uh, up very, very early, but then it was pretty much United dominance for the rest of the game. Yeah, one of the most enjoyable five-minute periods of my life. <laughs> of your life. <laughs> of your life. Alan E scored the first goal of this game, and I just started typing ha-ha-ha-ha-ha in all capitals to Tom. And by the time I'd finished the amount of ha-has that I was typing, Willy Bolly had put a second past Onana, and it was just, where would this end? Um, glorious to watch. Um, the second was the second was great as well. It just hit it his face. It was such a no long idea. ball over the top, cut straight through. Nah, um... <laughs> Really, though, I mean, man, like I said, Man United dominated from probably the tenth minute on, even though yep. two nil down. Um, Fernandez played a good game. Um, he is just he's a good player. He's so important mm, to them, isn't he? Sometimes. I know we spoke last week. Most punchable head in the prem. Geez, we hate him, but he's a good footballer if he just stays on his feet, plays the ball. Um, Tommy, you'll like this, and I'll probably kick to you to talk about this here too. But another footballer that could benefit from staying on their feet once or twice, uh, Marcus Rashford. <laughs> tell, tell me how you feel about Marcus Rashford, Tom. Um, let's get the good things out of the way because there's an overwhelming amount of Man United fans that listen to this pod, which I thought was so funny how quickly, because we had a few people over watching the game, how quickly they vacated at five minutes. I even had to message my housemate like, uh, you know, it's 2-1, right? You can come back down. It's fine. <laughs> uh Yeah. Marcus Rashford, uh, look, he is dynamite when he plays out wide left. And you can see why they were so adamant on bringing the rapist back in to play up top. Because allegedly. there's no, ele- sorry, allegedly. Because <laughs> <laughs> when Rashford's out wide, he is the most effective. And you're better off pl- you're better off playing Vort Veghurst up top. Why not? Because you're going to get more goals out of Rashford out wide than you are up front. And he was... Um, I thought he was instrumental in all of the goals. Uh, one goal in particular, though, where he's a diving little rat. It's just this thing is infuriating me because they're not they're not even trying to draw contact anymore, and they're getting rewarded with penalties if a defender even dares to you know attempt a challenge. This the whole thing is crazy. I I don't know where we go from here anymore because you've got VAR looking over it. And they deem that it's still a foul when you you just can clearly see there's not there's not even any contact at all. Maybe a slight graze of the knee, but that's just because the forwards left the knee in there to change their running pattern to a you know an unnatural movement. It's just bonkers to me. Yeah, it's the to, to me like I said to you, it's very similar to the Dom Soberschlei one for Liverpool against Bournemouth last week. Um, he just you know the he's got the ball and he just goes. If I just manoeuvre my body slightly or just drop a knee down to the left and take some contact and hit the deck, um, it, it's referees giving these penalties initially and, you know, they're not, once they go to VAR, they're not clear and obvious errors. So this is one of those ones where you go, you know, VAR mm. exists so referees can make mistakes. But this is one of those times where referees need to stand up without VAR and think to me that's not a penalty to me the attackers created the contact there and acknowledge that if they do get it wrong var will just bail them out and i don't i don't exactly. it's, it's that's it's exactly what it's there cycle. for i think there's too much too much going on yeah. where and we've seen it you know with the red cards i said i felt this way with with a McAllister red card too quick to give a penalty too quick to give a red card and they're on that borderline, so they can't be reversed. Whereas why aren't we going, let's not dish out the ultimate punishment, because then if there really is a need for the ultimate punishment, it can be given. That's it. And they're going to take five minutes to look at the shit anyway. So uh, Nottingham Forest are going to complain to the PGMOL over this, over the Rashford incident and also the Joe Worrell red card. Um, I thought the red card was there. It looks like a red card to me. Yeah. And like, I feel like when you make one poor decision in the game, the referee opens up all decisions to this kind of conspiracy and this kind of chat and the, just the constant, you know, we'll get to win the Liverpool game as well. It's just, 
the the home fans and the away fans bickering about different interpretations. And you're like, ah, it takes away from why we try and watch this game. Like there's mm. not, I don't want to muse over refereeing decisions all the time. I'd rather just see a good 3-2 contest, but yeah. here we are. It takes away, especially from a game like that. And I think overall we were saying just before we recorded tonight that overall a pretty enjoyable weekend of Premier League where the referees weren't so mm. much at the centre of it as they usually are, which is nice to see. Um Brighton 1, West Ham 3. We've been big on uh, Brighton. We've neglected West Ham a little bit. This is two weeks in a row now. West Ham have done um, done, a, done a number on a team. So, uh, yeah, wow. Cooper. Uh, this one's a little bit therapeutic for me. I might need a little bit of uh, a little bit of a discussion. Uh, Give a little, bit of a, a little bit of a lay down, Sam. Chimes. Let's go. You may I, speak. I just... Uh, thank you. I just... <laughs> um, Pay, pay all this money to come in here and talk to still have to wait to be told to, to talk. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I just, I've heard a lot post this game about it being a very impressive result for West Ham and about people being impressed by West Ham. And Optus called it a counter-attacking masterclass. Um, and it potentially, mm, it potentially is right. They've, they've had, three significant chances in this game and scored three goals. But I'm sorry, they've done it against a Brighton team who had about 10 significant chances and only managed one. And if they do this, they they got away with it against Chelsea. They got away with it against Brighton. But if they do what they've done this weekend and come to the Amex and give up 81% possession and 25 shots, <laughs> they are going to lose 90% of football games that they play. And I'm just so not on board with people calling this impressive. This is terrible football. This is a perfect way to finish in the bottom five teams of the Premier League. And and they will. They will be buried in the bottom half of the table somewhere come the end of the season. I'll hang my hat on that. I promise you that. They will be buried deep in the delves of the bottom 10 come the end of this season. It's just terrible football. But I love that. I love how wound up you got as you were talking, just more and more. And you're like, you know, I fuck think it, I'm going to go for the ultimate statement. <laughs> I think I mostly agree with you, but it's a strange, strange week to die on that hill. I think. <laughs> I just don't think there were many other hills for me to die on. <laughs> there was a Liverpool red card that, that I can't die on. And there's, and I just, you know, there was nothing getting me. I was genuinely coming into this thinking, I don't have any reason to go to therapy this week, but I've paid. Really, you do, because you've just but, lost the plot but there. <laughs> but I've paid, I've paid $500 for 15 minutes already. So I might as well fucking make it worth it for myself mm. and just tee off about what I'm sick of hearing people talk about. That's fair. That's why we brought this segment in. So you can uh, you can vent about anything you like. I'll be honest with you. Most of the time, uh, my vent comes from stuff I've heard in the media about football. So you're on the money there. And I, I do say I kind of agree. Uh, West Ham, <laughs> they stink. But you got to give it to them. They nailed their counterattacks and did score their goals. And they kept them out. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's three. I guess in the last two weeks, it's six points, which for if you look at them last season... Six points that could be hugely valuable in avoiding relegation. Tommy, you got I anything? I that we're still talking about relegation for them. Tommy, well, it here's your disrespectful chance, at this the point. Argument. They were top. <laughs> well, they were the top. Well, just, the, case. The, people who, the people who say that they don't need therapy are the ones that need it the most. So I'm glad you got that off your chest, Cooper. <laughs> but I, I agree with you at one point. It was about half an hour in and they flicked up a ticker of completed passes and Brighton had 220. Yeah. And West Ham had 13. No, one nil up. <laughs> look, foot, like, football isn't about passes, but it's a big part of it. And it does it definitely <laughs> gives you the visual element of whether a team deserves, you know, to get a result out of a game. Uh, but West Ham were great on the counter-attack. I wouldn't call it a masterclass, but I think they've got the right combination of player uh, with Mikel Antonio and Jared, Bo- uh, Jared Bowen. Uh, the new signing, what's his name? We talked about him last week, Diaby. I think he looks awesome. That's um, there was an That's interesting filler. point that I saw about this that relates to it's- Serie A, Sammy, where Deserbi can get done in by teams that are just going to play a low block. And they referenced, I think it was Udinese and maybe Torino. And they, they he could not beat those sides because they employed a similar tactic to what Moyes did in this. And, you know, unfortunately, 
as good as Brighton are and as fun as they are to watch, if you can devise the most anti-football thing you can possibly think of, you you will probably beat them. Yeah, nice. Great point. I like it. Um, except for your point about Diaby because he plays for Villa, you know, so that... Fuck. He's the West Ham guy. Um, you didn't mention Ward-Prowse, Ward though. Um, you know, obviously... Ward-Prowse. Huge. We can edit that I can out. see. I can see how you would mix up Ward-Prowse and a young winger from Germany mm. who is definitely not English, um, mm. but... But that's okay. Uh, we'll Similar forgive. attributes, um, same effect. We'll forgive and move on. Um, Villa did win three one, and Diaby did score again. Um, I don't know. I, th- I think there I heard is. both of you say this game was kind of boring, but I think I, I tend to agree with you. I had it on, but I think Villa were just they were just fairly dominant. Uh, Burnley did snag one, but. Burnley by no means horrible, but Villa just in control, and Matty Cash was an absolute weapon down the right. It was. Playing with something up his ass, just firing him along. Um, scored a double and was in amongst the thick of everything. So, uh, good performance again from Villa, though, and it's what we've we kind of we picked him early on to have these kind of performances. So that's uh, nice to vindicate that, isn't it? Yeah, I think they're going to be definitely. Okay Should we speculate what's up, Matty Cash's ass? Firecracker. That's what I was getting at. You know, you heard the old saying. Shut up. You just said Diaby played for West Ham, mate. Leave it alone. I'm just wondering what he had. Diaby. He had Diaby up his ass. The, um, I saw a piece of um, commentary. I'm not sure what feed it was from. I'm pretty sure it was some American feed doing the rounds on Twitter where Matty Cash scored his second goal and the commentator called him the Polish hammer. And I just lost my mind. <laughs> <laughs> the Polish hammer. Gee whiz. Um, Sheffield United, Sheffield United lost 2-1 to Man City. Uh, I don't think we'll go into this one, but uh, they made a bit of a game of it for a little bit. Man City event like snagged the winner shortly after the equaliser. So, uh, we, I don't know. We can't really talk about Man City every week, can we? Um, we'll wait till they maybe drop a game or they really, really Holland turn is, one on. So uh, the, the new PSG. Is, there's a little bit of human in there. Harlan, Mr. A little Penn, bit of yeah. human in there, yeah. And then scored anyway. So, um, well, I guess the, FPL. One, the big game of the round, Cooper, it was your game of the week and the final game of, is it the final game of the round or is there one more to come? No, that's it. The final game. Um, Newcastle one, Liverpool two. Give us what you got. Oh, um, didn't go the way I expected it to really, <laughs> <laughs> but nah, good tactical battle again, game of football. Um, I said last week that, Newcastle Manchester City was a really good tactical battle between two managers and it's not what I expected it to be and at the time I didn't expect it to be that because Eddie Howe was one of those managers and this week he's answered the question why did I not think that Eddie Howe would be part of a tactical masterclass Um, and he answered the question by losing a game from 1-0 up playing against 10 for 70 minutes um, okay. I just all right. There's some unnecessary shade going on there. <laughs> I just um. I don't know. I agree. I just we'll go turn of events He's here. Um, we start first major event. Trent Trent's first yellow card. Um, mm. I think Michael Owen made a really good point about this. That the second Trent Alexander Arnold incident, and I agree wholeheartedly. Once he's booked him for the first one, and Trent commits this foul, this this professional foul, less than a minute later. He has to go, right? It's it's a yep. second yellow. He has to go. Um, he hasn't gone because the referee knows. He's just I don't understand how he missed the Anthony Gordon foul on Trent Alexander Arnold yeah. before throwing the ball away. It was so blatantly obvious and so right in front of his eyes. And and I know it's one of those speculating things to do about referees. And I think in my head, I think he's squaring up by not giving the second yellow. I think it's a square up because I think yeah, he knows the first, the first yellow is his fault. And it's either a square up or he's made two horrendous decisions in the space of a minute. It's it's yeah. one or the other and it's good neither way. Um, lucky he doesn't go. Um, Anthony Gordon scores. Um, not sure if Anthony Gordon good 90 minutes or 70. Trent Alexander-Arnold shit 70 minutes or a combination of both. Um, both. It was a... Alexander-Arnold's mistake wasn't... He was just horrendous for the first 45 minutes. I thought he was really good in the second half. Um, but his first half was terrible. And Gordon terrorised Liverpool down that left side. Um, I don't know if there's 
something more to Anthony Gordon this season. And that's why he's starting over Harvey Barnes, which I just, I didn't expect whatsoever coming into the season. Um, but it was really good. Um, the goal comes, it's, it's an Alexander Arnold mistake. There's no doubting that. Um, but the side view is really telling the Liverpool defensive line is in shambles. The structure is non-existent when the ball gets passed back. The Salah pass is a horrendous bobbling half volley to Trent's weak foot. It's just the entire goal is a shambles. Gordon goes through, puts it away. Nice finish. Um, three minutes later, the Van Dyke red card. I don't know if you've both seen it. There's a little bit of discussion when it happened. Originally, I wasn't sure because it looked as if he'd played the ball at first. Once you see the replay, great decision. Um, goes yeah. completely through Isaac's standing leg to get to the ball. He's through on goal if he doesn't do it. He's last man. It's a red card. Um, I'm not sure where. I'm still seeing a lot of argument. Reviewer, appeal, it. that's never a red card. He played the ball. And I just, I don't understand what people are still watching when they're looking at this incident. No, um, I agree. I don't know if your takes on it. Well, that's that's what you get. That's what you get when you appeal one and you get a favorable result. Now you can just think, oh fuck it, we can appeal everything. Yeah. Yeah, potentially. But it's um, it's definitely a red card, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. a red. It has to be. It's a red for sure. Um, and then obviously, I, I made a comment in a in a group chat that I thought once Liverpool went down to ten, that Jota was probably the wrong player to bring on, and I would have preferred Nunes <laughs> because we sat behind the ball. Like it was, it was very unlike Jurgen Klopp. We sat so structurally in two banks of four, and you know this Liverpool press that's relentless and he used to. They it only happened in the real sharp, snappy moments when someone had their mm. back to play, or there was a loose pass or a bad touch. Then they went. Any other time, they yeah. were just happy for for Botman and and Burn to Trippier to have the ball and just do their thing. Um, it was methodical. The good old, it was tactical. the good old press on heavy touch. Is it what was, that was. It was really good. It was. It was not something that I've seen Liverpool do under Klopp. Um, mm. and it was exactly what they needed to do. Um, it's cool of, to see them do it actually. Yeah, a couple of lucky moments. Um, Dan Byrne would potentially want his last fifteen minutes of this game back. Um, Nunes went up his side twice. Uh, one bad touch and. Then the, the ball perfectly weighted pass from Salah, by the way. A lot of people talk about him being a sort of just a goal scorer, a tap-in merchant, and that he doesn't necessarily have the build-up play. But this is a this is a fantastic pass to Dylan Nunes for the second goal. Um, I don't know if you guys oh, you have guys it. are gonna miss him when he goes to Saudi Arabia. Uh, aren't we? I don't know if you have you guys have anything on this or not. The point I wanted to make about this game was we discussed pre-season not being sure about Newcastle because of their depth. Um, and I really thought when the going got a little bit tough and Liverpool came back into this game, that Newcastle's depth showed. Um, Liverpool, you know, made subs. Harvey Elliott, uh, Joe Gomez came on when Van Dyke got the red card, but Harvey Elliott, Darwin Nunes, Diogo Jota off the bench for Liverpool. Um, Newcastle got a little bit shaky in midfield, and their midfield is, you know, genuinely a great midfield. You've got Tenali in there. Uh, Joel Linton, Bruno, and then up front, Isak and Gordon played good games. But they made their first round of subs in the 72nd minute. And, you know, Harvey Barnes came on for Anthony Gordon, who'd probably been their best player. But then we saw Sean Longstaff come on for Sandro Tonali. And not to throw hate on Sean Longstaff, like he was a half-decent player for Newcastle last season. But how big of a fall is it from Sandro Tonali to Sean Longstaff the last 25 minutes of the game? And then 10 minutes later, you know, first goal goes in, they make another sub and Joel Linton comes off for Elliot Anderson and their midfield just depletes. I just feel like this serious lack mm. of depth that we've already discussed is it's there so much more than we might've potentially thought, you know, Elliot Anderson, Sean Longstaff, Matt Target, all off the bench in this game, how good their starting 11 is in comparison to their bench. There is a massive gap. Mm. I don't, look, I don't mind the Matty Target sub because that's just to move Dan Byrne into centre-back and have a more attacking left-back come through. But you, I think you're on the money with Elliot Anderson. How He's not as proven as Harvey Elliott. Like, I would put Elliott and Longstaff in the same category, so I think you're bringing on a similar kind of player in terms of just, like, overall quality. They're obviously not similar in the way they play. Um, but, like, on a different day, Amaron could have scored twice and they would have been 3-0 up. And then you're kind of looking at, you know, an absolute cakewalk. I I don't, I thought Liverpool held their shape well with the 10 men, allowed themselves to get into the opportunity to score two late goals and win the game. Um, but if, even, even if one of Amaron's shots goes in, 
I think it's game over. So this for me was just one of those flip of the coin football matches where Newcastle dominated the ball. They had the most shots, carved out the best chances, but weren't able to dispatch a 10-man Liverpool. Yeah. Um, I also, sorry, forgot to mention uh, Alisson's save off Almiron's volley oh, late in the first half. Unbelievable. Uh, Eddie Howe called this the best save that he's ever seen from a goalkeeper that he's managed against in a game. Um, mm-hmm. It was an, it was a belter. What a cracking save. Yep. Mm. On the uh, depth issues, I think it's pretty clear to everyone that there is a drop-off there for Newcastle. I would say that um, at this point, I guess it's more just an observation than it is a – is it a criticism or is it a fair criticism, I guess? Like, you know, they've gone out, they did buy a midfielder, they did get Sandra Tonali. You know, if he's not there, it's, it's you know, it's Longstaff still in that depth's even worse. You know, they you can't just go out and get – I think we've we've seen in the past, you can't just go out and get a whole stack of players that are good enough to start and that, that works for you straight away. It's a slow build. They've got players in areas they needed, like they've got Gordon in. Um, I wasn't sure about him to begin with. They obviously spent pretty big to get Isak uh, last January. Was that in January, that signing? Um, yep. You know, uh, they brought in Harvey Barnes. That was a great pickup. So, you know, some of those guys last year that were starters, like Longstaff and uh, Callum Wilson, are now the depth. Um, whether they're good enough to match it with someone like Liverpool. That, I don't know if that's necessarily Newcastle's level yet anyway. You know, you so, I just can I just cut you off quick? Like the Liverpool um, midfield three are all new signings this season. Yeah. And so I wonder if you like, maybe if you did, because they have been very methodical with the way that they've purchased players. They haven't wanted to unseat regular starters unless they absolutely had to. And I kind of like the way that they've gone about it. But then, you know, you wonder maybe they could have just bought two more warm bodies in order to have a stable midfield in a game like this. Yeah, maybe. I don't know what the financial situation is like at this point still. Um, but mm, obviously, like, FFP point. probably doesn't exist, but I don't know the ins and outs of it. But um, I guess there would also be an element early on, maybe, for Newcastle's point of view of not to just go, go like, you know, we've got the money, let's just let's just do it. And this is pay whether you've got, you know, whether the, whether it's the player you're actually after or not. I think what they have done with the players they've got, they're obviously targeted recruits that they think they can get and they think that yeah. will be a good fit. So someone like Gordon, where you know, no matter what we thought of him at Everton, he was obviously targeted by them and sought to be a pretty handy player to come in. Isak, obviously a targeted one they could get. They knew they needed a striker that could bang in, bang in goals and take those half chances that Wilson might not. And then obviously Tonali, just a, a rock in midfield that can play the ball. So um, mm. they're all good signings. Definitely. Yeah, I guess maybe maybe they're just biding their time uh, and they'll get there yeah. eventually. But you the, know, the, piece, the pieces are coming together. The interesting one for me is Tino Livramento. They brought him in right on the brink of the start of the Premier League season. Um, Thirty-two million pounds they paid for Livramento. Um, and we yet to see him start a game at left back in front of Dan Byrne, who seems to be better at centre back for Newcastle. Um, I just wonder if they were going to persist with Byrne at left back and leave Livermento unused on the bench like they did on the weekend, whether that 32 million could have been better spent in terms of just like Tom said, potentially another, you know, warm body is an interesting way to put it, but another, you know, another half decent <laughs> midfielder who could come off the bench and just shore things up a little bit more for them. Yep. No, I agree. I agree with that. Uh, but, you know, like Sam said as well, they're still early in their cycle of, you know, bringing in world-class players into their team. Because I, I took a particular note of Liverpool to be able to take off of uh, take off Gakpo and uh, Diaz and bring on Jota and Nunes. That's like not many teams in the world have that kind of depth and that kind yeah. of ability to do that thing, to change the attacking formation like that. So, and that obviously worked a treat. Uh, we haven't even talked about Nunes. I mean, is is he paying back his fee yet? Yeah, Cooper, are you ready to apologize to our friend Dylan Evans, who you ripped for having <laughs> yes, Nunes yeah. as his fantasy captain? Had him as his fantasy captain. Um, look, I mean, I said at the start of this season when we, we sort of previewed the Premier League a little bit that I thought that if Darwin Nunes started games for Liverpool, he'd score more than 15 goals this season. Um, it remains to be seen whether this cameo off the bench was just a little bit of a 
15 minute purple patch or whether there's there's some form there um but i genuinely think he's our best striker when when he plays i genuinely think he's our best striker he is fast strong direct and finishes so well two cracking finishes in this game um he's just still so raw and i think that's potentially why Klopp prefers going the, the Gakpo Jota route. Um, I think Nunez's ceiling is a lot higher than these two guys, but I'm just not necessarily sure whether Klopp thinks that we're in a safe enough Champions League sitting window, obviously this early, to be playing Nunez and just hoping that the form comes. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair enough. Cool. I mean, Cody Gakpo is obviously talented, so you've got good alternatives there. Um, I've read somewhere that he comes alive in the second season. Maybe we'll see it. I wouldn't be mad about it. All right, I yep. think that might be a good place to end it. We've gone on a bit. Um, Liverpool-Newcastle getting a lot of airtime there. I don't know how I feel about that. Um, <laughs> any, other thoughts, any, other, any other thoughts from football around the globe of, of any sort? We've we've gone on a bit, but if, if you've got anything? No, I'm happy to wrap it up there. Done. I think we covered it. Cooper, you're done? Yeah, I, I think got I'm out. Yeah, got it all out. You don't <laughs> have any more West Ham hate you want to throw out for after they've won two games in a row? No, we'll, Those... we'll wait. We'll let it hang. We'll see. We'll uh, see so when, go. when they win a third in a row next week, then you'll just tee off more. Yep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. So Moyes isn't getting sacked first. Is that what we're saying? Yeah, probably Sounds not. Sounds good. But... That'll be my therapy next week. Will be people saying Moyes. But I'll tell you what, cut it out. Anyway, <laughs> that'll do. Have a good week, folks. <laughs>